This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, as humans, we are by nature storytellers, aren't we? We love to tell stories. We even view our lives as a story. We love to tell stories of the past. And when we tell stories of the past, we tend to glorify this version of yesterday a little bit, don't we? Right? And the more the time has passed, the bigger the story gets. The little minnow that you caught becomes a massive walleye that you caught. We love to tell stories of the future, this glamorous view of the future that is almost a, a fairy tale of our hopes and our dreams. And when we tell these stories, what I think we find is that our past experiences and our future expectations they shape the way we view the present and we live today, don't they? Our stories of the past and the future, they form this lens that we view the present through, comparing today to what has already come and what is yet to come. And when we do that, we end up creating almost this unfair expectation of today. It's nearly impossible to live up to. We end up treating today kind of like that middle child in the family being compared to their older and younger siblings that never live up to their parents' expectations. And I think we've been doing that even more throughout the pandemic, right? Comparing what it is that we are currently experiencing to life before the pandemic. Kind of like how we compare every Bears team to the 85 Bears team, don't we? And we're also comparing today to what we hope will come after the pandemic, kind of like how poor Andy Dalton is getting compared to some future Hall of Fame version of Justin Fields right now. There was an amen right there. Here's the thing, though. That's exactly what I did to last Sunday. That's what I did to last Sunday. See, all spring, all summer, I had, uh, as the COVID numbers were, were dropping, uh, I was building up what last Sunday was going to be, this big uh, return, this big renewal, like revival was going to be breaking out. The, the room was going to be just filled with voices. We were going to bring those extra chairs back up, and, and it was going to be great. It was going to be just like it was before the pandemic, and after service, we were going to go out, and we were going to have a massive party, just like we did on our 10th birthday. And that's not what happened. It wasn't anywhere close to what happened. And here's the thing, though. Um, I came to realize that anything short of Pentecost 2.0 or Jesus returning was going to fail to live up to my expectations for last Sunday. And I realized that our frustration comes when today fails to live up to our past experiences and our future expectations. Today rarely stands a chance for us, does it? because it's being pitted against these unfair, unrealistic expectations. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we continue in our series in this Old Testament minor prophet of Haggai in a series called Renew. We're going to see that this morning in a sermon that we're calling Renewing Our Expectations. Right? Renewing Our Expectations. And in this second of Haggai's four oracles, we're going to see God do two things. First, he is going to confront the, the people's unmet expectations. And then he's going to call them to renew their expectations. And he's going to call us to do the same thing. And so in this first half, what we're going to see is we're going to see God confront his people's unmet expectations. He's going to confront their unmet expectations. And he starts in verse 1, kind of give us the setting as he did last week in his second oracle. He says, in the seventh month, referring to the second month of the, uh, the second year of Darius, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. And I kind of like... Uh, 
kind of like genealogies, I think we're quick to skip past these little date stamps like this, but there's so much going on in this date stamp. I don't think it's a coincidence that what we are going to read occurred on this day. See, the seventh month in the Babylonian calendar that they adopted in, in exile actually takes place in this September-October time frame that we're entering into, which in my mind truly is the most wonderful time in the year of Chicago. Amen? I mean, Christmas is great, but man, it's got nothing on fall, right? Fall, it, it is a season of apple picking and pumpkin patches. Yeah, we get out our jeans and our hoodies. How many of y'all worn a hoodie already? Okay, well, I've worn enough hoodies for all of you already. And uh, just wake up earlier and do your time with God earlier in the morning. You needed a hoodie at like 6 a.m. some mornings. But it's also a time of football, all right? So we're going to eat tacos. We're going to cheer on the NFC North leading Chicago Bears as they take on the Bengals. Yes, I realize they're in a four-way tie with three other winless teams right now. <laughs> but here's the deal. Justin Fields is going to take the field just in time. Oh, I've been working all week on that line. <laughs> now, the 21st day of the seventh month of the second year of the reign of King Darius, king of Persia, it, it takes place on October 17th of 520 B.C., takes place about seven weeks after the first oracle that we looked at last week. And like the first oracle, it takes place on, on what should have been a day of celebration. It takes place on the last day of this week-long Feast of Tabernacles, the Festival of Booths, named after these temporary huts or booths that the people built with uh, palm branches and twigs and sticks and lived in over the course of this week during the festival, like what the people lived in during the wilderness for 40 years of the Exodus. And this week-long festival, it served as a reminder of God's continued faithfulness to his people. Number one, it was, it was a reminder of that God is faithful to fulfill his promises to his people. Everything that God had promised to Abraham some 1,500 years earlier to give them the land of Canaan, to make them into a great nation, it all came to be. God liberated his people, freeing them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And God led his people through the wilderness and into the promised land. But he wasn't just faithful to fulfill his promises. It was also a reminder that God is faithful to provide for his people. And he's faithful to provide. They, they celebrated God's present provision through the harvest that they had just completed by remembering his past provision during the Exodus when God had miraculously provided for his people, right? He, 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 he rained down bread from heaven and he made water pour out from a rock. I haven't seen either of those with my eyes, but he provided for his people. But number three, it was also a reminder that God is faithful to be present among his people. And he's present with us. See, some 500 years earlier, on this very same day, Solomon dedicated this newly built massive temple that he had built for God. It's a, a story that we play out in, in 1 Kings 8, a story that we looked at a couple of years ago in our series, Lord, Hear Our Prayer. And on that day, the people gathered, they offered sacrifice, and they, they brought the Ark of the Covenant in. And it says in verse 10, and, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And during this Feast of Booze, they would read the Torah, the Mosaic Law. They would read that aloud as this audible reminder of God's past faithfulness, of his promises, of his provision, and of his presence among them. And on this day, some four weeks after they'd begun working on the temple, God, he, he says in verse 2, he says, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, 
governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, right? Speak to those who had gathered for this celebration. This was going to be God speaking through his prophet Haggai, right? A, a divine word through a human mouth. And he says, say to them in verse 3, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Some of those people that had returned, they had seen the glory of Solomon's massive, uh, elaborate temple with their own eyes some 70 years earlier, before it had been decimated by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And they, they had come as children to, to offer sacrifices. They, they had come with their mom and their dad to celebrate the Feast of the Booths prior to their exile in Babylon. And while not everyone that had returned had seen the temple in its former glory with their own eyes, they had all seen it in their minds as the older generations would, would tell story after story of this incredible temple. They would tell the stories of the good old days, of the, of the glory days. And I have to imagine with each passing year of the exile, the stories got bigger, the temple got bigger, the celebrations got bigger. And so they came home from Jerusalem excited, ready to rebuild the temple, ready for God's presence to return. And yet just four weeks after they began work on the temple, they had already become frustrated. They were frustrated because they began to realize that what they were building was never going to compare to what existed. It would never compare to what they had seen with their own eyes. It would never compare to what they had seen in their minds. The present glory and splendor and majesty of this temple, it paled in comparison to the former. It, it, it paled in comparison physically. It would be nowhere near the same size or scale. It, it, it failed in comparison aesthetically. No, no, no gold plating, no, no adornments. But it also failed to compare politically that rather than a nation of power, they were but a mere vassal state of the Persian Empire. And God, knowing their frustration, he, he calls them out and he confronts their unmet expectations. And he says to them, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes and in your mind? Reminded me of how I felt last summer when... Um, Jill and the boys, we, we took a little trip back to Iowa, and we went back to the farm that I grew up on in southeast Iowa, and it was the first time that I'd actually gone back to where I grew up in over 15 years. And, and on that drive, I was telling the boys story after story, stories of, of building forts and playing down at the creek. Like, they were so excited to go see this creek, and when we actually got to the creek, they were like, Dad, where's the creek? And I was like, that's it right there. And it had like four drops of water in it. And we went swimming in that four drops of water. Stories got a little bigger. Told them about driving tractors and pickup trucks when I was younger than them, and then they asked why they couldn't drive a tractor too. Told them about all the animals that we had and the chores that went along with the animals. But see, my little sister, she, she had warned me that, um, that it wasn't going to look like what I remembered. And nothing could have prepared me for what I saw as I pulled up to the end of that dirt road. Yes, we lived on a dirt road. I was just I was stunned. I was shocked at what I saw. Some of the barns had been torn down. Uh, the grain bins, those that, ones that had my little handprints in it, every one of them was gone. Trees were ripped out. Paint on the house was peeling. And, and the worst part was like this was littered with junk cars. There had to be at least 100 junk cars there. 
It was as nothing in my eyes. It was no longer the farm I grew up on. It was now just a junkyard. That's how I think they felt. They felt like they were standing on a junkyard. See, what God was revealing to his people on that day some 2,500 years ago is the same thing that I think he's revealing to us in this day. And that's this. It's that our past experiences shape our present expectations, don't they? Our past experiences shape our present expectations. See, what we're prone to do is we take the best parts of yesterday, don't we? We take the, the best parts of the past and we exaggerate them, we build them up, we glamorizing, glamorize them. We, we create almost this, this mythological version of the past. We tell our own big fish stories, right? I think about the time you hit 40, you tell your kids that you had to walk uphill both ways to everywhere you went in two foot of snow in the middle of July in Iowa, what we do, we compare things. We compare to the past. We compare our favorite sports teams to the past. We compare the Bears to the 85 Bears. We compare the Bulls to the 90s Bulls. We compare the Cubs to the 2016 Cubs. I'm assuming White Sox fans have something they compare to, too. I don't really know. Don't really care. We do it with our country, with our nation. We compare it to a glorified version of the past that I think ends up being more fiction than non we do that with our church. You know, we, we, we compare it to the ways of old, saying like the old way is the only way. That's true of music. That's true of programs, how we do things. We compare our schools. We compare work. We, get, we, we compare parenting styles. We compare everything to past experiences. And we allow those past experiences to shape our present expectations. And when we do that, what I think we come to find is that our expectations for today, they never stand a chance of fulfilling those fictitious, glamorized, mythological expectations of the past. They don't stand a chance. And it leaves us frustrated, just like Israel was frustrated on that day, because it leaves us with unmet, unrealistic expectations. But God doesn't just confront their expectations. What we see next is that God calls his people to renew their expectations, right? He's calling us to renew our expectations. In, in light of two things we're gonna see here, in light of God's presence among us and in light of his promises to us. And so what I want us to see first is I want us, I want us to allow God's presence to renew our expectations of today, right? Allow God's presence to renew our expectations of today. That's what we're gonna see here in verse four and five. Look down with me. He goes on to say in verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. I love, I love this passage because it's yet another example of how often God pairs his commands with his promises, right? They, they so often go together, but here's the thing. Our eyes are often quickly drawn to the commands, aren't they? We, we see be strong, we see work, we see fear not, and I think what it does is it reveals how we are lovers of the law. We wanna know how it is that we can accomplish things, and in the midst of that, it's easy to miss the promise, but the beauty of the promises that we see here and throughout Scripture, they, they give us the reason and they give us reassurance. They give us the why and the how. And we see three of those here. We see three of those here. First, three times in verse 4, he says, be strong. 
be strong, be strong. But why should we and how shall we? Well, he says, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. I'm with you. God, he's calling us to remain strong in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of frustrations. And it's not the first time that we see this, this trio of be strong commands in Scripture as God's people were facing something nearly impossible. When we flip back to Joshua 1, we see God tell Joshua three times, be strong and courageous as he was about to lead the people of God across the Jordan River and into the promised land and, and face their enemies. He says, just as with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. We see it again in 1 Chronicles as David's um, reign is coming to an end and he pulls his son Solomon aside and he, and he tells him to be strong three times as he, as he charges him with the building of God's temple. And each time that we see this trio, we see God calling his people to do something that they themselves don't have the power to do. But what he's telling them is that the strength is not to be found within them but in God's presence among them. He didn't expect them to have the strength on their own. He calls them to be strong. And second, he, he calls them in verse four to work. To work, right? But why should we and how shall we? Again, he says, for I am with you. See, as this disappointment of this rebuild project began to sink in, I, I, I got to imagine the people, they were asking a question that I'm sure we've all asked at some point. And that's, what's the point of this? What's the point of my work? Does, does what I do matter? Like if I don't show up for my job tomorrow, the world's gonna keep going. Who cares? Does what I do matter? And I think as we look over the entirety of Scripture, it shows us that the answer is a resounding yes. Our work matters. And that's what we saw a couple of years ago in our series, Why We Work. All right, we saw that our Work becomes worship when we work from God's presence and for God's glory. Amen? Not just ministry work. One, we're all in the work of ministry. But two, any work that we do, any work can bring glory to God. Work was part of our creation mandate, right? Genesis 2, God, he put Adam in the garden to do what? To work it and to keep it to serve and to steward creation, to care for God's good creation and actually participate in the act of creation, building beautiful things that last. Like Hiram, he was the metalsmith that Solomon brought in to do the, the beautiful and ornate bronze work throughout the temple. And the same is true for us, regardless of what it is that you do, whether that's teaching kids whether that's parking cars, whether that is filling prescriptions or writing software or laying tile in someone's kitchen or bathroom or caring for clients or caring for the earth. All of it matters. He's called us to work. And number three in verse five, he says, fear not. Fear not. Why should we and how shall we? Well, he says, my spirit remains in your midst. But notice a couple of things here. Notice that, uh, notice God does not say that there's nothing to fear, does he? As though there's nothing scary that's ever going to come up. Because scripture, uh, scripture actually says to not be surprised when scary things go bump in the night. Uh, not be surprised when suffering and persecution and trials come. So he doesn't say there's nothing to fear. But also, notice God doesn't say stop living in fear. He didn't say it like that, did he? 
He didn't say stop living in fear as so many have been prone to do as of late, specifically I think the last 18 months. It's a phrase we've heard more and more. And what it is, it, it is, it is shaming without assuring. You get that? Stop living in fear. That is shaming without assuring. And think of it like this. When, when a child wakes up from a nightmare in the middle of the night, um, I don't know if you've taken a parenting class, but here's what you don't do. You don't just lay in bed and yell from your room, stop living in fear, Tommy. Please don't do that. <laughs> no. What, what you should have learned in parenting class, or if you're going to take it, what they should teach you is you, you get out of bed first off, which is really annoying. I get it. And here's the thing. When you reach a certain age, you're going to get out of bed, and you're going to realize you've got to go to the bathroom too, and you're not getting back to sleep anytime soon. But that's okay. This is what you do for your kids. And uh, you, you come to them, right? And you sit next to them, and you put your arm around them, and you hold them, and you calm them. And you calm them with two things. You calm them with your words, and you calm them with your presence. You say, it's okay. Daddy's here. There's no need to fear. And that's what our Heavenly Father is saying right here. That's what he was saying to his people. That's what he's saying to us this morning. He's like, I know life's hard. I know this last year and a half has been a, it's been a mess. There have been some scary things that have gone bump in the night and in the day. But I'm here. I've got this. And so there's no need to fear. Hallelujah. And what I love about this one, notice in the first two, there was the command followed by a promise, but not here. The promise came first, didn't it? My spirit remains in your midst. And because of that, there's no need to fear. See, our ever-increasing awareness of God's presence, it renews our expectations for today. And just as God promised to be with his people in the wilderness, in the exodus, leading them by a pillar of, uh, of smoke by day and fire by night, just as God promised to be with his people as they rebuilt his temple, that promise applies to us as well. As the author of Hebrews says, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Knowing that God's spirit is at work within us, that God's presence is with us, that is what gives us the strength to work without fear, without fear of failing, without fear of not doing enough, without fear of not being enough, without fear of what others might think of you, without fear of what others might say to you, what they might say about you, without fear of the gossip and the slander and the lies that some will choose to say. Because we're not in it to please them, are we? Who are we in it to please? We're pleasing one, not everyone. So allow God's presence to renew your expectations today. But not only that, the next thing we see is, is allow God's promises to renew our expectations of tomorrow. Right? God's promises, that should renew our expectations of what is to come, of what lies ahead. And he says in verse 6, he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. See, when Moses, when he ascended Mount Sinai to meet with God, where God gave him the law, the, the ground shook and the whole mountain trembled, it says, and it was, it was wrapped in smoke. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was a sound of something like trumpets, and needless to say, the people were a little bit afraid. 
If all of a sudden it started going like this, like we'd be a little nervous, wouldn't we? If this place started filling with smoke and all of a sudden trumpets came out of nowhere, want to be like Tim got somebody new on the worship team, apparently, it'd get our attention. But what God's doing here is throughout this passage, he's, he's pointing back to the Exodus and he's pointing ahead as well. He's pointing to another divine interaction on behalf of his people, of a coming judgment, of this cosmic shaking of all of creation, heaven and earth, land and sea, these Hebrew expressions for totality, not a, not a literal earthquake, a, a figurative cosmic shaking. And nothing will be untouched. Nothing will be unaffected. Nothing will stand in the way of the sovereign creator of the universe accomplishing his will. Four times in these last four verses, he says, I will, because God's promises are certain. Amen? Everything he said that will come to pass will come to pass. And he goes on to say in verse 7 and 8, he says, and I will shake all nations. All nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver's mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And just as God provided for his people in the wilderness, he's going to continue to provide everything that his people need to carry out his will, including providing everything his people needed to rebuild this temple and to restore it to its former glory and splendor. Because not only was he going to shake nature, he's going to shake the nations. And when he does, all that is rightfully his will return to him. Everything that is good, anything of value rightfully belongs to God. The gold and the silver, another expression of the totality of everything that is good, everything that has value, everything that has been stolen from God will be given back to God. The nations will pay tribute to God as we all bow. And what God had in store as we sang this morning is something greater, something greater than anything we have seen or anything that we have imagined. And he closes in verse 9 saying, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Their past experiences shaped their present expectations and it resulted in their frustration. They would never be able to rebuild this temple. They would never be able to restore it to its former glory on their own. But here's the thing. God wasn't asking them to, was he? No, he was simply asking them to allow his presence to strengthen them and encourage them as they worked. Because as we said last week, God is not reverting creation back to some version of itself. God was not reverting the temple back to some version of its former self. No, he was renewing it. He was moving it forward to something greater, something that would bring an everlasting peace, peace this world hasn't known since Genesis 3. And so then we begin to look forward from this prophecy to what it's pointing to. And about 500 years later, a man by the name of Herod, he would rise to power. And he would undertake some incredible architectural projects. He built his fortress at Masada. He built the harbor at Caesarea. But his most ambitious project was to expand the temple in Jerusalem. And as great as Herod's temple was, God still had something greater in mind. God had something greater in mind. And when Jesus came, he told 
the Pharisees in Matthew 12. He says, something greater than that physical brick and mortar temple is here, standing in their midst right now. And he said in John 2, he said, destroy this temple. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up. Because see, this passage isn't pointing to a physical temple. It's pointing further ahead. It's pointing to Messiah, of God's presence among his people. Jesus, he is that promised Messiah, isn't he? He is Emmanuel. He is the promise of God's presence with us. Jesus, he, he is Isaiah's promised Prince of Peace. And that's the good news of the gospel I think we begin to see here is that, see, our sin separated uh, us from God. It severed our relationship with God. It, it, it made us enemies of God. It alienated us from God. But Jesus, Paul says in Romans 5, is the one through whom we have peace with God. Amen? It is through his blood. It is through his work. And the peace that he provides, Paul says in Philippians 4, surpasses all understanding. It is peace that we have in Christ with the mind of Christ that gives us strength and calms our fears. And yet it points further ahead than that because before Jesus ascended into heaven, he promised that I will be with you always until the end of the age. And as the Son ascended, the Spirit descended. As God's presence, it now resides not just with us but within us. As we are God's building, we are his holy temple where his spirit dwells. And the presence of God dwelling in us and among us gives us that strength, that desire to work for God, that courage to face our fears as he has promised us, I am with you, my spirit remains in your midst. And he has commissioned us now as peacemakers sent into the world to pursue peace and to seek shalom. And yet God still had something even greater in mind. As this prophecy looks even further out to this cosmic shaking, to this judgment that will come, this shaking, it will leave behind, though, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven in which we are citizens of. God will bring an, an end to this earth, so to speak, with the entrance of a new heaven and a new earth, a renewal of creation. And the things that we have built that bring glory to God will last on into the eschaton. They will be there with us. And in this new city, this new Jerusalem, God says in Revelation 21, there will be no more temple. There will be no temple, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb as we live and we worship in his direct and immediate presence in our glorified bodies. Thank you, God. A day when there will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more pandemics, no more cancer. All of that stuff, all that garbage that came with Genesis 3 gets kicked back out. Creation gets renewed. God wins. That's how the story ends. And as we faithfully follow the way of Jesus, your increasing awareness of God's presence in you, in all around you, in the spirit work within you, it will renew your expectations of today. It will renew your perspective of today. But not only that, your increasing trust in, in God's continued faithfulness will renew your expectations for tomorrow. That's the realization that I had leading into this Sunday as I reflected on last Sunday as I reflected on my unmet expectations of last Sunday. 
See, I realized that I came into last Sunday with the way wrong expectations, which, like, shame on me. We just spent, like, three weeks talking about the proper view of fruit, and I came in forgetting about that already. And so God kind of smacked me upside the head, as he lovingly does, more often than I care to admit. And he let me know that he had something better in mind all along, because he always does. We just don't always see it. He had something better in mind. See, we got to gather together last Sunday as the people of God in the presence of God to worship and bring glory to God. If the list ended right there, that would have been an awesome day, wouldn't it? That's all we need for today. We don't need any fancy gimmicks. The tacos are nice, the bears are great, but all we needed was Jesus. Everything else is secondary. But yet there was more to last Sunday because you know what? God's spirit stirred. That was our prayer last Sunday, that God's spirit would stir. And 64 people made a commitment to renew their pursuit of God and one another by prioritizing their time with God and one another. 64 people filled out the info card and made that commitment. Here's, a, here's just to put it into perspective. Only 37 people filled out the info card the previous week. 64 of you made that commitment. That means I sent 64 emails this week to each one of you helping you take your specific next steps. Not only that, 10 people took their first step in making redemption their church home last Sunday by attending Walk in Redemption. Three of them came from the Philippines. I never had anybody come that far to come to Walk in Redemption before. (laughs) They actually live here. They were just born and raised in the Philippines. I'm exaggerating a bit. Pastors do that. Had two old friends come that I hadn't seen in a few years. And we had one person come who's, who's leaving their faith tradition and beginning to explore faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. It was awesome. We could have stopped right there, but, but that just describes what was going on up here. Y'all know there's stuff going on downstairs too? Like there was stuff going on downstairs. Our kids learned about one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, which is, is, is 2 Samuel 7. It's of God's covenant that he made with David. And, but we didn't just talk about it on Sunday, right? Remember, as parents, we got those little cards, right? Continuing the conversation cards last week. You're going to get another one this week. And so we can continue the conversation with our kids. Uh, the boys and Jill and I, we, we did it Sunday night at dinner. We've done it a couple of nights this week. We're going to do it the same this week on Psalm 23. Man, that was pretty awesome. And you know what? We didn't have a big party last week. That's okay. We're going to eat tacos today. We're going to cheer the bears on in just a few minutes. That's going to be really fun, isn't it? I guess I'm going to have fun. I'll eat your tacos. (laughs) And I get the Packers fan in the room. He's not all that on board with it, but that's okay. He still wants the tacos. And we still love him. As our past experiences and our future expectations, they're going to shape the way we view the present. They're going to shape the way that we live today. And what I want you to see, God didn't renew my experiences, did he? Nothing changed about the past. God didn't go back and rewrite it. This wasn't some time travel movie like Tenet. No, but his presence this week and his promises renewed my expectations. And that's my prayer for each and every one of you. That is my prayer for us as a church. My prayer is for an increasing awareness of God's presence and an increasing trust in God's promises that we would not just know in our heads, but we would believe in our hearts that God is with us and that God has got this. And that we would take this scary step of allowing God to move in us and allow him to renew our expectations. And so I want to close our time in the Word this morning by asking you three questions to help you renew your expectations. 
All right, we've been asking, we're going to ask the question, what will you renew? This morning, I want you to renew your expectations, but how will you do that? And so I want to ask three questions. Number one, I want you to write these down so that you can take these with you. They're going to be up on the screen. Number one, what are your expectations? And be honest about this. What are your expectations, number one, of God? What are your expectations of one another? Right? What's your expectations of us as a church? And number three, what are your expectations for your own life, of yourself? What, what, what do you expect of others? What do you expect others to do for you? To just look at your frustrations. You'll see. What is it that you expect to occur and to take place and that will happen? What are your expectations? Question number two. How have your past experiences shaped your expectations? How have they let you down? How have they left you frustrated? And number three, after this time of reflection, we need to respond. How will you renew your expectations? How will you renew your expectations in light of God's presence with you? How will you renew your expectations in light of God's promises made to you? And if you want to put a little asterisk there, here's, here's a great first step in, in, in pursuing this. It's by pursuing God. It is by prioritizing time with God each and every day, each and every week worshiping with us here, being with God. And I don't want us to just jump ahead of these questions. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you wrote them down, but I want us to spend the next minute or two reflecting on these. I'm going to pray yet again that the Spirit would stir and that we would begin to renew. And so we're going to spend this mixed minute reflecting and praying, and then we're going to respond as I pray over us. We're going to respond by taking communion together, or we're going to respond by singing together. But let's spend this next minute in prayer and reflection. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.